Identity Talk. I'm your host, Jana Lopez. Thank you for sharing your time with me. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about uncovering meaning about who we are and how we come to see ourselves. Words and identity are my life. I'm the author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. I teach online writing workshops called Write About Now and offer one-on-one transformative coaching sessions that break you through to deeper clarity and connection with yourself through a guided process I call See-Through Words. When it comes to navigating identity funky junk, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope mixed with humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Good morning and welcome. Welcome everyone to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. My guest with me this morning is somebody I've admired and appreciated and followed for a very long time, Inessa Anderson, and she is the Jane of all things media and art and interesting, and I just adore the way she spends her time and patience immersing herself in deeper conversation, which is why I've asked her to be my guest, also a former broadcast journalist, DJ on a local radio station here in Portland called Kink FM for many years, and I'm glad to have you here, (laughs) even though we're Zooming right now and she can see me and I can't see her, so I can say nice to see you, but I'd be lying. (laughs) Nice to see you. Nice to see you. It's nice to have you here. How are you doing these days? How is everything... How's everything going in Inessa's world? Well, you know, the fact is that I've worked from home uh, ever since I left Kink at the end of 2012. I turned over, my my whole life went from going to a radio station to be on the air and to be a music director and all that stuff to uh, working from home. So it was like a big shift. But I soon found my footing and uh, developed my own website, the Inessa blog, and mm-hmm. talked to... I talk to many different kinds of people, much like you do, you know, not just musicians, but uh, writers and filmmakers and anything that catches my interest. And then I also do voice work. So that's how I make my money. So I've worked from home for a really long time. But the difference, of course, now is that you can't just pop over to a friend's house. Yeah. Hang out, have share cocktails. You have to Zoom. You have to Zoom your cocktail hour, I guess, <laughs> with friends. So, I mean, even for someone like me, who's, you know, and I have friends, I I would have people coming over to my house and uh, say an an artist, a musician would come over and bring their guitar, whatever, and play live uh, in my studio. So all that's kind of put to the wayside for now. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm really used to, uh, I'm, I'm used to working from home. I've done it since what, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, eight years. So it's not, it's not a big change in my life. Outside of the fact that you have to, you know, I'd love to go hear some music. That's a hard one. That's a big one. That's a really, really hard, really hard. That's been a big one. I think of all the things I didn't know I would miss. I mean, I could never have imagined we would be in the situation anyway. Like there's no way to imagine February of 2020, if you would have said, 
what the world would be facing in less than four weeks, I would have, I would have laughed or said, put the crack pipe down. Cause I never could have imagined if anybody would have said this to me, that is the one thing I think I miss the most is just the freedom to go into a club, a small dingy club and listen to live music, being around people. The energy of that is what I think I miss. I'm surprised by how much. Yeah. The last show that we went to see was at the end of February with uh, Robin Hitchcock at the, uh, at the old church, which is a really interesting venue. You ever been in there? Yeah, I have. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I've seen different kinds of music there. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw Michael Allen Harrison there, and I'm sure there's Sounds like right. something else, like a chamber concert or something. But I don't. I, I mean, that would have been an interesting venue to see somebody like that for sure. Yeah, and uh, I'm a really big fan of uh, Nick Cave. And he was going to be at the Moda Center in October. And uh, we got the word, official email that said, you'll be getting your money back. He called off his entire American tour, you know, because it's just so hard to know what's going to happen. I think I had scheduled Steely Dan, and that would have been my first time seeing them. And that was in June. And I was going to take one of my really good friends for her graduation from her master's program. So that was a bummer. And then I was going to take my son to Roger Waters. That's going to be, that was going to be his first concert, right? He's almost 16. And I thought that's, I'm, I'm going to take him to his Ro- first concert. Well, like first big concert, like first big, you know, we've been to plenty of little smaller shows, but like a full on production, like what I would have done as a teenager, as a 16 year old. So that got canceled. And then of course there was a smattering of other smaller things I was looking forward to seeing and doing, which it's all on hold right now. Everything, all the, all the arts, all the interaction, all the entertainment and juiciness of sort of life and thinking about like going to the Broadway shows. I have, I had tickets for that. I also had season tickets to the Oregon symphony. Yeah. Well, I totally understand that because uh, my daughter is with New York city ballet and Theaters are dark right now, and they uh, they do company class through Zoom, and she teaches for the uh, City Ballet School, which is the School of American Ballet, and so she's teaching her classes because she began teaching a couple of years ago. But uh, Zoom is a great tool, as we're doing right now. What I wanted to ask you as our kickoff item is, during times like this where so much is uncertain. I mean, that's, we've heard it a million times already, but really given the fact that everything is really uncertain, how else are you going to say it with the health pandemic, the uh, people in the streets, the unrest, the political upheaval, economic uncertainty, everything is just upside down. So given that we're on this precipice of such change, Um, How do you think art and expression play a role in the understanding and healing of such unprecedented times? Uh, I can only speak for myself um, uh, on that, but I I find inspiration in, in so many ways and through so many different avenues. Ironically, uh, I was reminded of Oscar Wilde, who was an Irish writer and poet uh, back in the 1800s. He's the guy that famously said, 
be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. You've heard that before. Yeah. You posted that, I think, recently, and it, it was uh, and true. And he said things like, uh, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. And so in an odd way, um, because of the, the protest situation, because of, we're being reminded of, of how we're living, I think it's an opportunity. And I find my, my opportunities come through, through film and through reading, through poetry. I get inspired by that kind of thing. But, I, but it's, not just, uh, it's not just this rare, rarefied air thing. Hey, I got to tell you, we finally sat down and watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah? And that was such a good film. I highly recommend it, you know. So I like that kind of stuff, too. It doesn't have to be this rarefied Oscar Wilde kind of thing. But what did you like about that movie? Everything. I want to see it. I mean, I think just for Brad Pitt alone, I'm in. But, like, what is it that you liked about it? The script. Well, Quentin Tarantino is an amazing writer. And uh, I, I really liked that one of the first things that he did before he started writing the script was he poked around through all his music and... I think I have a lot of music. You know, I have thousands of CDs, albums. Uh, but he sat down and listened to music and developed and po- picked the music that he liked and decided on what he was going to be using in his film. And that's what inspired him to write the script. I love that. You start with Quentin Tarantino and then you move towards this I had all these conversations and I was reminded of um, the Manson family because um, he kind of weaves that into the background of, of his story, which was a huge thing back in 69, um, which mm-hmm. was when this was set. So I, we watched the film and I felt like I was walking on air the next day because I was beginning to be kind of bummed, you know, by everything that's going on the, the, the protests, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. But I was literally walking on there after that, after I saw that film. I felt so inspired. Can you name what it was? Was it the writing or the cinematography or the... It was, the, it was everything. It was the cinematography. It was the acting, Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, their, their amazing friendship. You know, yeah. the, kind, the way that the way... Did you see the film? No, I haven't seen it yet. I think just the duo of those two. And I know it's trite saying they're hot and, <laughs> and you know, but well, they're, and I, they're amazing. They're amazing actors and they really, really <laughs> dug deep into uh, the kind of relationship that they were going to form, form with to, to live inside this film. You know, so it was the it was the dialogue. Uh, I didn't even think about them being hotties. I just thought about. I just thought that the the relationship that they developed was was something to behold, and it was an inspiration to me. So it's that kind of thing, and that's why I wanted you on because you can talk about the deeper layers. Of course, I'm sure it's there, and I can get it. I I do get it, but that is why you are you is because you can look to the layers and the depth and the artistry. You can see that. You can pick that out in film and in literature and in music. That is what I appreciate. I feel like you take your time and patience in letting art 
speak to you and letting it absorb and evaluating what it is. It feels like at least, you know, generally, anecdotally, tangentially speaking, that people don't really have the same level of patience for art that is involved or intricate, particularly poetry. Um, it takes time. You need patience to engage with dialogue, with text, with meaning. Yeah. It feels to me like you are willing and able and always making room for that. It's been interesting because um, I, I work in my studio um, during the day and then at night I like to kick back. And one, one place that I go to that I like to go to is to watch Westerns. Really? And the, yeah, and the reason is that I find Westerns are, oh, you know, rawhide, gun smoke, all that stuff that I kind of grew mm -hmm. up with, but didn't really think much about. But now it's, uh, it takes on a whole new meaning. Westerns, the way they were written are like morality plays in, in my hmm. view. And um, there are always lessons to be learned. But the interesting thing is that people would just shoot each other down dead <laughs> you know it's like so odd like oh my god I can't believe it uh, you know just it's a harsh and dusty parable <laughs> yeah but but there's always uh, a lesson that's offered in westerns you you take the takeaway like uh, when you watch a, a show like wagon train mm. I really find it to be uh so there's a there are lessons to be learned and I and I I like delving in, into that, you know, I, I really do. But uh, there's also some real cruel things going on in Westerns and you realize the way that uh, the indigenous people of this country were treated. It's horrible to to revisit that, that uh, they weren't given their due. And we, we find that our, our country was born of some really cruel things. And uh, that's, what, that's what I'm kind of learning now, you know, with Black Lives Matter. It's like having to relearn and revisit yeah. what slavery was all about. Yeah. And so I, that's my, uh, I find that I have to re-educate myself on, on what this country was brought up with. And uh, I'm a, I wasn't born here. I was born in Germany. So I'm, I, I'm an immigrant, proud immigrant uh, and um, Latvian by heritage. I speak the language. So I always had that connection to um, my culture, and that I that I was not American, that I was not a, I had I became a U.S. citizen by virtue of my mother becoming a citizen. Let me ask you something about the going back just a quick second to the westerns, where you were saying that there's lessons in there, and I know like as a kid growing up in the '70s, there were a lot of shows that were on like Bonanza and uh, Gunsmoke and other shows that when they depict the old West and the Cowboys and the Indians and the good guys and the bad guys. And it was so indoctrinated the Thanksgiving story you hear in school, the books that you read, there was so much about history and our contribution and annihilation of history. And they were depicted in these very glossed over ways through entertainment and on TV. So why do you think it is that so much went down and, and so many awful things happened and socially and culturally and politically, there was just some dis dissonance and disassociation from 
what had transpired, like it was just a, a, a tale, like there was not a really direct emotional correlation to those things. I didn't recall that. So when you said you, you can watch them now and see the lessons, are you able to see and separate like what it was we didn't really pay attention to before? And now you can see it clearly. Is that also part of the lesson that you're engaging in when you watch those movies? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's like the indigenous part of it, such cruelty mm-hmm. that was doled out. And uh, it's like relearning. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's how I feel about uh, the slavery thing, too. Like, I realize I have to go back and re-educate myself on what went down and why. Who brought the Black people in and for what reason? I haven't thought about that in a really long time, much like with the, the indigenous population that was treated so cruelly. I discovered a, a really wonderful uh, place called David Jones Media. This woman named Kimberly Jones was speaking on, it's on YouTube. So David Jones Media and Kimberly Jones is talking about uh, what's going on with uh, Black people in this country and what we have to do. And to me, it's a, it's a commitment to re-education, like rediscovering why slaves were brought in. For what reason? For plantations, for making it easy to, and Oregon was a uh, was founded on uh, an all as an all white country. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, Oregon has a very deep and dark racist history. I mean, even recently, there was an article in the Atlantic uh, that I read recently that talks about the the depth of Oregon's racist past, and it was just. I mean, appalling and crushing and heartbreaking and just illuminating all at the same time. And that is where I feel like the immersion, like you said, and re-education and the importance of it right now and what it is that we need to open our eyes to. I've heard that many people say, or not many, some say that what is the point of opening up the can of worms? I've heard that banter about in some some circles like isn't the past the past can't we let it let it lie and I just think that's such an interesting attitude that they have the luxury of (laughs) asserting (laughs) you know uh, which is part of the problem but re-education is there a, a way that we can inspire people to understand that by looking into a past, the past, parts of the past that they're fulfilling a, a current and better future? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Well, it, it, when I realized that, uh, you know, all the stuff that I had learned through my fourth, fifth, sixth grade history education in grade school, it kind of, it's all been lost. I, I you know, and so I feel like I ne- I personally need to revisit it um, I've always had, I hate to say this because it sounds really trite, but I've always had black friends. I have no, never not had black friends, but I feel embarrassed to say that even, that I have to say something like that. But a lot of people don't know black culture. A lot of white people don't. And I remember when I was living in New York and I would be flying home for a visit, I'd be going, where are all the black people? Right. I was really concerned. It made me uncomfortable because in New York, every everywhere you turn, there are people of color, there are 
different, I don't know, different cultures on every street corner. And I was so used to that. And I thought, well, where is it here? Something's wrong. Yeah, I had a really interesting experience in in New York. Like I would say my American moment. I, I would not, I, I do love this country. I don't dislike this country. I don't like what's happening in this country, but I do love and appreciate the principle of freedom and democracy. And I was in New York, it was maybe about five years ago. And I went to the ferry terminal island and it's, or the, the to take the ferry over to the other side. And it's like you said, like everywhere you go, New York is literally this, compendium of people and voices and cultures and smells and foods and it's just energy just constant energy but when I was at the waiting for the ferry I looked around I just stopped and looked around and I there must have been about 50 different types of people just standing there shoulder to shoulder waiting to get on the ferry and I felt this is why people come for the American dream, whatever that is, whatever it means in the idealistic sense, the the melting pot, the blending of ideas and cultures. And I was so proud in that moment. I felt so free and, and good about being human and being alive. And New York is certainly such a place where everything converges in this like static electricity. <laughs> Of motion and life, and I mean, I don't know that I could live there. It's not a city, not a city for everybody. I understand that, but uh, I consider it the greatest city in the world uh, in so many different ways. Actually, left New York because of a weird relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to fly my way. It's back always home. a boy or Isn't a girl. I mean, no. depending, whatever. Yeah. It's always somebody. But now, but now uh, that same person is uh, one of my, my one of my friends. So it's like it's ironic, you know. That's I had to flee, <laughs> and I and I was a dancer there. I was in the art world, and things were just not going the direction I wanted to. So I I fled for a couple of reasons. What do you miss about it? The smell of it, the noise of it, the variations of people. Everything happens at once there. It's just um, like the Frank Sinatra song. How are they going to, how do you imagine knowing what New York is all about? Body to body, people to people, river to river, street to street. And it was, they were so hard hit again with something that I cannot imagine what coming back to life is going to look like for that city. Do you have any thoughts about that? I know your daughter's still there. Hold up. Well, but I think that the wonderful piece of it is that you can say, say if you live in um, in a, an apartment uh, in a brownstone and you can just get onto the street and there are people there and you can talk to them. And I know that even now, given, you know, the COVID-19 thing, people are still, they're distancing they're, mm-hmm. and they're wearing masks Mm-hmm. But, uh, for instance, from my daughter, she you, she can go to the park and, you know, say Central Park mm-hmm. or uh, Prospect Park. She lives in Brooklyn. But, you know, you're just you're six feet apart, but you can share beers and you can still have conversations. And the thing about the living in that city is that you can step onto the street and there will be people to talk with and exchange glances with. And that's actually one of the things I'm enjoying right now in my neighborhood here in Milwaukee is that all these different people on the street, it was like, there are people on the street, 
It was not David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. Didn't they sing about people on the street? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just being able to wave at people that go by and, and th- usually that wouldn't happen here, you know, but, but the, the living so close in the city, as I call it, it's, it's, uh, I think it's part of the thing that's going to make, help make it come through this, uh, the, not just the COVID-19, but the Black Lives Matter movement and all the things that we're going through all at once. A place like that, I think, is really helpful to have people right next door to you of all kinds yeah. of shapes and shades. So, yeah, I think, I think so, too. I think it, I think it sparks humanity. Mm-hmm. It sparks that feeling of belonging. It sparks, it it does something beyond like waving to your neighbor, Bill, as you drive by down the dirt road and, you know, (laughs) give share a pie or something. I mean, you know, that idealistic version of a community or a neighbor that people hold on to. When I think of community or neighbors, I can imagine what you're saying about a city in New York where people are just so out there and humanity is so out there and it's this rush of the light and the dark, the in and the out, the good and the bad. And, but what I will say is I feel like even in those circumstances, I'm going to go with this if, if, if that's what I need to say, but I believe people are good. Like when you look at fundamentally what people are about, I don't think people are inherently bad and you do see it in these situations, these dark situations where people's humanity in a place like New York city comes through and Mostly everything is peaceful. Mostly people care about helping their fellow man. Mostly people will show up and clean up the glass in the streets after. That to me is super assuring. Yeah. Well, it's like Oscar Wilde said, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist. That is all. But living is, I think, what I'm learning now. Um, Because before I kind of existed, you know, I had to you know, outside of my theater world. I mean, just the day-to-day of working at home, you know, you, yeah, you get up and I've got dogs, so that's always fun. They need to live. <laughs> but I find that um, I'm really learning how to live now. I'm doing it through various ways of watching Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in Hollywood, seeing how it was made, reading uh, how Brad and Leo created this relationship. Another thing that I was had just rewatched and revisited was Breaking Bad. Too dark for me. Cranston. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so good. It is so, 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 so good. Wayne, my husband, had not seen it, and so I'd already seen it back a couple of years ago when it first came out. So I watched it again with him so that I could revisit it. Uh, I was shazamming. You know what that is. I was shazamming <laughs> through the whole show because, again, it's so well done. The, the music that's brought in uh, is so interesting. It, stuff that I haven't, you know, haven't heard in a really long time. And I love when a director can do that uh, to uh, to create that kind of um, those layers of, of not just great dialogue, great storyline, but music is so amazing in that show and then it's the spin-off is better call Saul which is equally amazing 
if anybody's looking for something to watch, I'd say start with Better Breaking Bad and move on to Better Call Saul. And they're finally going to have a new um, uh, season coming up of Better Call Saul in uh, 2021. So, yay! I just don't get it. You know, I know I am, I am in the minority. I'm I'm very aware that I'm I'm an odd duck in so many ways, but I just cannot get into darkness with TV. I know so many people love it when it comes to sex and violence and betrayal and darkness. And, you know, most shows have those elements as their plot inclusions. And I just, I'm too sensitive. And so I have to pick and choose really closely what I watch. And um, like I watched Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling on Netflix. I mean, that was amazing. Mark Maron is in that. The writing is brilliant. And yeah, Mark Maron's great. Oh yeah, it's just amazing. It's just funny and brilliant. And I know, especially now, it feels like with everything that's happening, I just can't take the darkness. I know, but again, I know I'm in the minority. What did Wayne think of Breaking Bad? Oh, he loved it. Yeah, I like dark. I like dark things. <laughs> I, I really do. Uh, what do you think is the appeal uh, of darkness? Well, it makes me think, for one thing. Okay. It, it 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 I like thoughtful, uh, even though once upon a time uh, in Hollywood was silly fun. There was a lot of thought provoking. There were many thought provoking moments, and I've always been that way ever since I was a little kid. And maybe that's because of uh, my background. You know, my my mother having to flee World War Two and flee to Latvia and head for Germany is where she found grounding and so I've never been uh I, I love comedy don't get me wrong I really love comedy but I like thought-provoking things did you see the joker oh yeah oh <laughs> see, yeah. see what I'm saying it's like of course <laughs> it was so good of course I mean and I I want to because I just know the acting and everything but I can't do it like I can't I can't do it. There's just so many things out there. I just, I'm going to, I miss all the water cooler conversations. If I went into an office, I miss all the memos of all the series and all the dark movies. And I just yeah. can't be part of those conversations. Yeah. But I, but, uh, but uh, having said that, I love comedy. I absolutely love comedy. So it's, um, I like to, I like to put my finger in as many pies as possible. Yes, you do. And when I've been to your house, I've seen your thousands of CDs and records. And there's just like not a <laughs> single thing on there that one thing is like the other. I mean, it's just amazing how deep and long and mind-blowing your, your collection and your tastes are. How did you develop such a broad appreciation for such a diverse range of sound and form and expression through music? Well, uh, I think in, in part it was due to uh, what my mother cultivated at home. You know, uh, I was raised, uh, I, I studied piano, classical piano. So I, I was raised on classical music. Wow. But uh, I had an older brother, much older brother. And uh, so I got kind of both sides. Right. You know, and I think my first my first rock and roll thing was the Beatles as a little kid. Good, you know, good start. It the, Solid. It was the Beatles. <laughs> Solid choice. But, but, um, but it, it was also stuff like, um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, geez, I'm not going to remember it now. Oh, Easy Listening. Uh-huh. Yep. My mother really liked 
Herb Alpert, my mother, Percy Faith. My mother listened to that kind of stuff. I grew up with it in, in, in the house, you know. So I had a lot of various things, you know, but then also, you know, then it was uh, Jefferson Airplane, you know, because I, I really wanted to be a hippie. I was way too young. I, I wanted to go to San Francisco so bad, but I, I was too young. <laughs> My mother wouldn't let me go as a 12-year-old. Yeah, sure, right, go. <laughs> Drop everything, become a hippie in the making. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So that uh, that really ex- ex- expanded my universe of sound. Then when I lived in New York, it was, um, it was the punk era. So mm-hmm. I would go to CBGB's because that was just mm-hmm. beginning to be a real thing. Are you talking like X or like Clash? Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. Johnny Rotten. You know, the whole the whole thing and you, you could go and and i saw patty smith uh when she first got going in new york and i didn't i didn't really know anything about her and i and i was at, at a i remember being at somebody's apartment and there was bob dylan in the room going, what my god i can't believe this what am i doing here <laughs> so it really uh, and i listened to uh, a new york rock and roll station that um played everything mm-hmm and so when I decided to leave New York, I thought, what do I do? I don't want to be a secretary. But I decided, you know what? I've always, I've always uh, known how to use my voice. And I thought, why don't I go into radio? That's kind of how it began when I, when I, I needed to do something here in, in Portland. And the, they still had broadcasting schools at the time. I uh, went to broadcasting school and got my license. <laughs> broadcasting license and then eventually uh because I love music so much I became um a music director I liked everything and during that era it was the 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 punk era uh so I was just scooping in all these sounds you know I still like Led Zeppelin and things like that why not yeah I I definitely have been revisiting some oldies lately like I think maybe it's just the angstiness or something like I've been listening to Susie and the Banshees and mm-hmm. uh, Oingo Boingo you know there there's such an interesting time in music the clash uh so I think that music was probably a little bit uh angrier or like adrenaline driven or well I think uh punk has definitely made a comeback yes the, that sound the angry sound has definitely made a comeback and uh I'm the music director for uh, Portland Radio Project mm-hmm at 99.1 FM. And uh, we're playing a lot of angry sounds right now. In music, I'm finding that there's this whole new uh, generation that's adopting the punk sound, the angry, the angriness. It's a whole new, much like it was during the 60s. Yeah. So we're we're in a new season for that kind of thing. So where did the blues come in for you? Where does that fit in, in your world of music? Because you do listen to a lot of blues and uh, have such a deep knowledge about that. Where's, where did that hit you? Well, I think um, that actually, I I didn't really know that much about blues until I moved to Portland Mm -hmm. and it's a blues town, Mm -hmm. you know, the blues festival and all that. Mm -hmm. So that's where I, and, 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 when I was working at uh, mainstream radio stations like KGON mm-hmm. back in back in the early 
part of my radio career, we we played a lot of, we had blues shows. So that's where I learned about it. I didn't really know that much. I didn't come to it by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who taught you? Like who turned you on to your first major, holy shit, that's good moment of listening to something. Working with people like, uh, who's no longer with us, Steve yep. Pringle. He certainly taught me a lot. Um, Bob Anchetta. Mm-hmm. Because we would go, we would be host, you know, we'd have a table at the Blue, Blues Festival, mm-hmm. uh, Kinkwood. And I had to learn, I had to learn it from people who knew it, like BA, as we call it, mm-hmm. you know, and Steve Pringle. I had to learn, I had to learn about it from others who knew it. So that's how I came to it. So aside from doing radio, if I were to ask you, who is Inessa, how would you answer that question if you took away the thing that you do who are you well i like to have conversations with people mm-hmm. i like to find out who people are mm-hmm. and it's always been really easy for me to uh talk with others and maybe that comes from my new york days i never felt shy i had to be on a stage in my dancing days mm-hmm. So I couldn't just sit back and, you know, I had to have courage to be out front. Mm-hmm. And I've always been curious about other people and their, the lives that they lead. It has never stopped me from even talking to strangers like, hey, how are you? <laughs> you know, but um, I've, and I've used my I've always used my voice, not just on commercials because I do voice work. I'm the voice of, uh, say, I'm going to bring up something that somebody might know. In California, I'm the voice at, when you call Kaiser Permanente. I'm the one that says, <laughs> uh, please hold. We'll be with you in a moment. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so that's how I make That's one. <laughs> that's how I make my money. Yeah, that's okay. You know, it's, you could be doing phone sex too, because that would be, you'd be great at that. I'd call you and listen to you for a buck 99 a minute. <laughs> It's funny. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. But. Uh, these days, I'm telling you, I'm open. I, I could probably even consider it. I don't, I'm not going to rule anything out at this stage of this game. And um, yeah, I think I could probably do it, you know, uh, that, that kind of language. <laughs> you know, it's about the expression thing. It is. It's. I've had um, lots of different scripts that I've I had to voice. Uh, I've always, um, I always like it when I get something really, really interesting, interestingly written, you know, so uh, if I, if I audition, I have, I've had some um, really, really great jobs, as I call them. Well, at this stage in your life, at this stage of the game, since we, we talk about, and on this podcast, I talk a lot about identity and how we come to see ourselves. If having been in places where it's so such an amalgamation of life and sounds and smells and you've immersed yourself in all these forms of art and music and expression and voice. Can you say at this moment that you know who you are? Do you know your voice? Just because you use it doesn't necessarily mean you know it. And I'm not saying you, I mean anybody, just because anybody uses their voice doesn't mean they necessarily know it, but do you know yours? I know how I like to use it. Mm-hmm. Recently, I had um, a really interesting script that I had to to do. 
uh, it was for a place called Downstream Casino Resort. Hmm. But it was very, very poetic. And uh, I know that I prefer, I mean, I can, I can do the things like buy now and save, you know, like a Fred Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> I really like to use a, in a poetic, I like to use my voice in a poetic way when I'm using it. Um, do you write poetry? Uh, oh, I've, yeah, yeah, throughout my whole life. Yeah, off and on. Uh, I, I, I liked poetry from the time I was just a little kid. Um, but I like to, you know, I like, like, like this one script is, welcome to a world where time doesn't exist and excitement fills the air. Anyway, on and on. So, but I like, I like something that has, um, there's a thing called duende. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, the sadness, the, the longing, you know, it's kind of like flamenco. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I love flamenco. That gets me hot. Uh, there are Spanish poets who use duende. The definition is um, it's it's a state of emotion. Uh, yeah, when you think about that uh, essence of being, you know, that there's a sadness that you can't erase, and it's it goes through your heart, a quality of passion and inspiration. I just had that experience, actually. I mean, it's been weird because uh-huh. I've been. I think, you know, I wrote this book and it took four years and then I, it's called me, my selfie and I It was a personal creative memoir about a lost form of identity and then finding myself. And Mm -hmm. so the writing, uh, I had to do some different kind of writing. I'm in a graduate program at Pacific Northwest College of Art for creative writing, which has been amazing. So I had to write things. I had to turn in like 20 pages every three weeks and We've been on an in-between time before the next residency starts up. So I haven't written anything in like weeks. I've been on this dry spell. But last night, lately, I've I've been finding my inspiration again. And there was this one particular thing uh, I was thinking about and a uh, person I was thinking about. And it was interesting how that welled up that exactly what you describe. Duende, yeah. Duende, yeah. So I had that moment and it's like, it was powerful. I love how it turned out and it was really an interesting experiment. And when you get inspired through writing, um, this is what I'm, I'm interested in with poetry. It feels like poetry can access portals of expression and emotion through pictures that are actually words. Does that sound about how it goes for you or is it totally different no that's yeah that that makes sense i mean it's using different words than than mm-hmm. um but um oh there's sadness and there's joy and it's those two things coming together um yes you know um say duenda lives in blue blue notes uh, you know when when there's a break in a singer's voice um we are we're more accustomed to its presence in jazz and blues that's there's a poet uh, named Federico Garcia Lorca, who is he's kind of the guy that developed duende, and he gave it in a lecture, the play and theory of the duende, in the search in search of duende. So we're searching for sadness and joy, and when it comes together, like you know, when when we watch a flamenco dancer. That's a perfect example of. Oh, I love that. I do. I love that. I love that you brought that up. And I love that understanding of it. And 
how did you bring that up? What was it that about Duende that you brought up when we were talking about knowing your voice, you jumped into that. So how did you make that transition? Oh, well, I think, I think that uh, poetry, uh, that piece that I read you, that commercial that I had voice, it has a sense of poetry to it, but there's, there's a kind of a, a sadness to it, but there's a joy. And, you know, when I think about artists that I really, really like, uh, Leonard mm-hmm. Cohen comes to mind. He is amazing. Uh, and uh, he was an interesting guy. You know, he, he was a Zen priest for a while. He was a poet. Uh, Bob mm-hmm. Dylan comes to mind. Uh, Van Morrison. Um, mm. David Bowie, you know, artists that I really, really like. God, it was a hard couple of years of losses, wasn't it? With David yeah. Bowie and Prince and just, I mean, yeah. the dude from the so cars. No, even, Kasich, even Tom Petty. Even, yeah, I was going to say even Tom Petty. I know. Uh, and that's what I love about Nick Cave, who I find is a great source of those two things, of the capacity for suffering, but also for uh, joy, you know. Interesting. That, that, kind of, that kind of thing. That's a very poignant detail about you, yeah. I think, because that is a viewpoint of how how you experience and get life through the world yeah. uh, and the human experience. Yeah. And that would explain New York and that would explain all your yeah. immersion into all the art and music. Now, I feel like I know you so much better. Thank you, Inessa. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm, so uh, thank, thank you for uh, making me uh, have to say these things out loud. Oh, it's fascinating. And that makes... It makes sense. And it's going to prompt me now to think about what it is for me with words and expression that I get my life force from. Um, Is it the mixture of the joy and the sadness? Is it the mixture of the hope and the potential? And is that why people try to get to know themselves better because they're trying to find some deeper understanding about connecting with more life and more meaning and I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's also, uh, uh, I have a lot of uh, joy speaking with my daughter uh, when she, we we sometimes Zoom, but she just calls us and we, I'm I'm following her life and all the the sadness that she's experiencing, uh, the the missing out on being able to do her theater work, Mm -hmm. but um, trying to find, you know, her way through love. (laughs) <laughs> and having to distance herself from potential boyfriends, that kind of thing. So it's interesting to watch her going through this this thing that I've gone through myself. So I I like I like that uh, I get to continue learning through her. She seems like a badass. <laughs> I think she is. She does. She does. I follow her on Instagram and oh, Facebook she's, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's she is a badass. Hmm. Hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to add about anything? I don't think so. I'd like to leave it there. I think it's good. You you are always somebody I admire and appreciate. Oh, thank you. Back at you. So my guest today, Inessa Anderson, and we will look forward to uh, toasting tequila in person very soon. I hope so. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I've had a fantastic time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. 
For questions or comments, reach me at janalopez.com. And when you're having a moment of identity doubt, just remember that seeing is relieving.